Thanks for listening to the Best of Coast to Coast podcast. If you want to hear more than just this highlight from the program, become a Coast Insider. And you can listen to the full episode, plus recent shows covering the mysterious death of Kurt Cobain, the possibility that government may soon reveal the truth about UFOs, and the power of witchcraft as told by an actual practicing witch. Start listening now by heading over to coasttocoastam.com and signing up for Coast Insider. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. We are here with Professor Michio Kaku. Michio, how long will it take to terraform Mars, and do we need to have a terraform before we really can go there and settle? Well, first we want to get an outpost on Mars. Uh, We're going to probably use lava tubes that already exist, ready-made, ready-made caves on Mars. Uh, then we're going to have, uh, of course, uh, solar panels displayed to gain, to gain energy. We're going to start with the mining operation to mine the ice. Ice can be purified for drinking water, uh, separated out for oxygen for breathing, and then hydrogen for rocket fuel. And then after that, agriculture will get started on Mars. Uh, and we'll do that with genetically modified algae and plants that can thrive, thrive in the harsh environment of Mars. So once we have an agriculture set up, we're going to set up farms. And so we'll have a self-sustaining settlement uh, without having to have their apron strings tied to the earth. We'll have a self-sufficient settlement on, on planet Mars. Now, to terraform Mars, that is to turn Mars into a Garden of Eden, that will require technology of the next century when we have solar satellites, satellites that beam light energy down to the ice caps and melt the ice caps There's plenty of water on Mars, except the water is frozen. By having these satellites beam energy down to the polar ice caps, we can let liquid water flow freely in the riverbeds and ocean beds of Mars. Mars once upon a time had an ocean as big as the United States of America. That's how big that ocean was, but it's all gone now. we We can reclaim it by beginning to heat up the North Pole and the South Pole to create a greenhouse effect, to, to let water flow freely on the surface of Mars after billions of years. So it's a long process, but we've got to start somewhere. How exciting just to think of the prospects of doing that. Yeah, and this is with doable technology. We're not talking about pie in the sky anymore. Uh, as, as I mentioned, Hollywood films are more expensive than actually going to Mars. Incredible. They had to give an Oscar for the best supporting space probe. Uh, because missions to Mars cost less than $100 million, but Hollywood movies huh. cost more than $100 million. And so we're at the point now where, you know, China, um, India, a lot of players also want to put their stamp in outer space as well. That's how cheap things have come. There's a Russian uh, astrophysicist who's going to be 86 in April. Uh, you know him well, Nikolai Kadashev. And he came up with the type one, two, three civilizations. Now people are talking about four and five. Does it go out that far? Well, in principle, yes. Uh, we have uh, in the galaxy, we have, of course, planets, stars, and galaxies. However, is there something that is extra galactic? So type one would correspond to a planetary civilization. A type two would correspond to a stellar civilization like Star Trek. And then a type three would be galactic, like Star Wars. And what could be extra galactic? Well, if you think about it, on Star Trek, we have the Q. 
The Q is extra-galactic. That is, they play with galaxies. They are outside the Milky Way galaxy. And so, yeah, in principle, there could be uh, a type 4, which would be extra-galactic. And what kind of energy would they use? Uh, they would use dark energy, the energy of nothing, the energy of the vacuum, the energy of the Big Bang, the energy that is pushing the galaxies apart, the expanding universe. And so, yes, there is an energy supply even greater than the energy supply of a galaxy or a black hole, and that is dark energy, which, by the way, makes up 73% of the matter energy content of the entire universe. So we, by the way, uh, hydrogen, helium, and the higher elements, we make up about 4%, about 4% of the matter energy of the universe. Dark energy, which could be the energy of a type 4 civilization, uh, would comprise 73% of the energy and matter of the universe. And you say we're a type one, a zero right now? Yeah, we're fragmented. We have fundamentalists. Uh, we have nations. We have all sorts of chaos. We're type zero. We're, we just came out of the swamp a few hundred years ago. <laughs> but, you know, we're about 100 years away from type one. For example, what is the Internet? Uh, the Internet is the beginning of the first type one technology. Okay. We are privileged to be alive, to witness the birth of the first type one technology, a planetary technology called the Internet. Generally, what are the stages of, of time between the types, like between one and two mm-hmm. hundred years, five hundred years? How long do you think it would take? Well, it's on an exponential scale. So if you go to my book, uh, I, give, I actually give you the formula. You get the scales there. Okay. So we are about a hundred years being away from type one, and you can see that, like a type one language is being born right before our eyes. On the Internet, English and Mandarin Chinese are the two most popular languages on the Internet. We're seeing the beginning of a, a type one sports, uh, the Olympics, um, soccer, beginning of type one sports. We're seeing the beginning of a type one music, youth music, youth culture, rock and roll, rap. Uh, we're seeing the beginning of a type one high fashion with Chanel. So when you go around the earth, you begin to realize that we are seeing the beginnings of a type one culture right before our eyes. Just amazing technology to be able to get to these different stages. If you're right at the end, let's say a civilization level of four or five, how far have you progressed? Oh, well, uh, take a look at it this way. By the time you're type one, you can play with planets. Type two, you can ignite stars like, like they do in Star Trek. They actually ignite stars on Star Trek. Type three is you roam the galactic space lanes and black holes. You can use black holes as gateways. You can use black holes as power supplies. And if you're type four, you can go between galaxies. I mean, think about that. So we're, hmm. we're talking about an unimaginable amount of energy on that scale. Now, of course, we've looked for these things, too, okay? We physicists don't just simply pontificate about this. We've looked for them. We've looked for type one in our area, and so far we see nothing which has led some people to believe that even type 1s could be a little bit unstable. Perhaps they blew themselves up or, or had global warming take over. But type 2 is immortal. Nothing known to science can destroy a type 2 civilization. Uh, meteors can be deflected. Asteroids can be destroyed. You can even move the planet Earth. Uh, a type 2 civilization could escape it when their mother star explodes and becomes wow. a supernova. So a type 2 is immortal, and therefore we look for them very seriously. We have looked at satellite data 
So far, we've had a few interesting candidates, uh, but right now, nothing conclusive, but we are looking for Type 2 in outer space. Might there be Type 3 and 4 and 5s out there? Oh, definitely. I mean, if, if a civilization could reach the Earth from thousands of light years, uh, that means that, yeah, they're, they're two or more, more than likely Type 3 civilization. But that time, they are galactic, and then their power source is the Planck energy. The Planck energy is the energy of space-time itself. The Planck energy is 10 to the 19 billion electron volts. That is a quadrillion times more powerful than the Large Hadron Collider. It is the energy of a black hole. It is the energy of the Big Bang. So by the time you're type 3, you may, it may be possible to drill a hole in space and time, a wormhole. A wormhole was first introduced by Einstein himself in 1935 as a gateway, as a passageway. So as matter falls into a black hole, it's blown out the other end as a white hole. So this is still a theory. We've looked for white holes. We haven't found any. But some people even think that the Big Bang could be a white hole, that matter falls into this singularity and blows out the other end as a white hole, which is a Big Bang. Which is what I need to ask you, because I just still don't get it, Michio, the Big Bang, something uh, banging from nothing. How can that be? Well, we don't know for sure, but Einstein gives us this picture that the universe is a bubble of some sort. We live on the skin of the bubble, and the bubble is expanding. That's called the Big Bang Theory. But now we are going beyond Einstein into something called string theory, which is what I do for a living. And in string theory, there are other bubbles out there, other bubbles. And sometimes these bubbles bump into each other to create a bigger bubble. Sometimes they fission and peel off baby bubbles, and that's called the Big Bang. So the Big Bang is nothing but the collision of universes or the peeling off of baby universes, and that happens all the time. So we're talking about eternal creation of universes. And believe it or not, this fits the data. We're just not BSing and, you know, trying to uh, impress ourselves at, on, at the dinner table. We have data. The data fits this basic picture that there is a multiverse of universes out there. And then, of course, a lot of people come up to me and say, Professor, does that mean that Elvis Presley is still alive in one of these parallel universes? Well, <laughs> it can't be ruled out. It can't be ruled out, which no. is an amazing possibility. Do we have doppelgangers out there? Images of ourselves? Uh, well, first of all, uh, I think just in the next few years, we will find a doppelganger in outer space circling another star. We have found about 20 super-Earths, that is, planets going around stars that are maybe 50%, 100% bigger than the Earth. It's only a matter of time, just a few years, before we find a doppelganger of the Earth. So at night, when you look at the night sky... <laughs> Realize that on average, every single star you see at night has a planet going around it. Let me repeat that. On, at night, on average, every single star you see at night has a planet going around it, mainly a Jupiter-sized planet. But about 1 in 20 have Earth-sized planets. This means that in the galaxy, our backyard, the Milky Way galaxy, there are probably several billion several billion Earth-like planets just in our own backyard. I mean, this boggles the imagination, but that's what science tells us. We've identified these planets. We're cataloging them. We have encyclopedias now. 
encyclopedias of these planets, and by golly, a handful of them look just like the Earth. Michio, tell me your thoughts about extraterrestrial life. Do you well, think we, all, and have we been visited? Well, first of all, I think they're out there. I mean, to believe that we're the only game in town, that there are a, a billion or so Earth-like planets in the galaxy, and we're the only ones with intelligent life? I mean, come on, give me a break, right? Now, many of these planets probably have microbial life. That is, uh, bacteria-type uh, microorganisms in an ocean, okay? But some of them, some of them, a fraction of them probably have uh, organisms like fish, and maybe the fish evolve into intelligent beings. It simply cannot be ruled out anymore. And so there used to be something called the giggle factor. That is, when a scientist would hear somebody talk about aliens from outer space, you know, scientists would giggle and their eyes would roll up into the heavens, and they would just let out a sigh. Well, those days are gone. They're gone. Because in our leading institutions, we have exobiologists. We have scientists who created a new field of science called exobiology, where they look at the biology of alien life in outer space. What might they look like? How might they evolve? What happens if we encounter them? All these questions are being asked at scientific conferences, not UFO conferences, but in scientific conferences. Yeah, we scientists ask these questions now. It's amazing, amazing work. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.